We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden in partnership with 440 Sports and Broadway Sports Media. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello. And as we record this podcast, the Titans are taking the field for the first day of OTAs, May 22nd. And it looks like most, if not all, of the veterans are there. Justin, how's it going? I'm doing well, man. Excited to talk about first phase of OTAs we got some surprise uh show ups I would say at least one in particular that we're going to get into talk about a new quarterback rule that's very interesting and, and certainly applies to the Titans I think and some guys were you know we're sort of monitoring closely here at OTAs guys who are either on the roster bubble entering make or break years key depth pieces position battles lots to talk about here Yeah, some guys that I'm particularly interested in seeing and, you know, some guys on this team that if they make a a second year leap or third or fourth year leap, the Titans could be pretty good. If they stay healthy, the Titans could be pretty good. If some of these key guys that we're going to talk about don't show up, don't contribute on a higher level, the Titans could be in a very struggling place uh, come like October, November time. So we're going to get into all that. Let's start. Did you see the Titans put out this little documentary? They do this kind of every year. One year it was like Ignite the Flame. And this year it's called uh, Music City Football Track One. So they're taking like a musical approach to it. And it's all about Rand Carthon's basically first six months on the job. Did you look at this at all? I didn't watch all of it. I've seen bits and pieces, but I'm still planning on watching the entire thing. It's cool. It gives you a look at, you know, who Rand Carthon is as a person, you know, at work and outside of work a little bit. And as usual, they're not revealing a whole lot. They're not showing you anything you didn't really already know. I think the most interesting moment in this piece is when him and Chad Brinker are talking about options at the top of the draft. And they're talking about we like options one and two, option three, I don't know. And there's some debate going around the timeline. Are they talking about, you know, Stroud? Young, Levis, are they talking about scenarios if a guy falls? Are they talking about trade options that they have on the table? Are they talking about a guy that they ended up getting like Peter Skaronsky? Because they seem to say they really like options one and two. They don't really seem to like option three. My gut is telling me they're talking about Skaronsky, Stroud as options one and two, guys that they would love to come out of the first round with. Option three, probably Will Levis, who they end up taking later. Some people think it's all quarterbacks. Some people think it's just scenarios. What was your read on this little thing? I'm going against you here. I kind of interpret, and this is probably exactly what they want, right? It's good to have people talking about it. I interpreted it as as trading up for quarterbacks. I I think, you know, how many episodes did you and I spend on here talking about quarterbacks? Three, four, five episodes, right? Because they spent so much time with them pre-draft. It felt that they were determined to come away with one, and and they did with Will Levis. Yeah. that was a bit unexpected getting them in the second round, right? We, we got the feel they were determined to try to come away with one in the first round. I took it as Rand Carthon and Chad discussing Chad Brinker, by the way, if the name's not familiar, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who he is. Cause it means you're a hardcore <laughs> Titans fan. He's their new assistant general manager, right? That Rand Carthon hired. He's a salary cap guy he comes over for the green Bay Packers. I took it as them discussing trade up options for quarterbacks. Now, is that, is that a giant leap? I didn't think it was or, uh, you know, GMs and, and uh, you know, I, 
I've spoken with many people. They're always prepared for all scenarios, right? right. Especially and for a team, the Titans that wanted to come away with a quarterback. There were so many rumors regarding them trading up determined to come away with one. I took that takeaway as if option one is there option two, it's worth going up to get that guy. But you know, but if it's option three, not so much, which is exactly what they say in the video. Yeah, and that could be the case too. And it could just be like trade proposals that they already have on the table with like the Lions who traded back, with the Cardinals who traded back. I mean, it could be things that they're lining up pre-draft. Anyway, we'll never really know, but it's fun to discuss and get in on the discourse. Let's talk about the OTAs that are going on now. A big name that has not really been present at the voluntary portion of OTAs the last couple seasons, Derrick Henry on the field. What does it mean for this Titans team? What does it mean for him in the final year of his contract as a Titan? Ryan Tannehill, also there. Jeffrey Simmons, also there. Remember, these are vol- this is a voluntary portion. These guys do not have to be there. They could be working out on their own anywhere in the country. So it's cool to see them show up. Haven't seen if Kevin Byard is there yet or not. That'll be an interesting one because... You know, there's some rumors about his contract situation going around that have not really been settled yet. So I'm going to be watching to see if Kevin Byard shows up or if we get a glimpse of that on social media while we're recording here today, just, you know, to settle that. We might not know until later in the week. But what do you make of some of these veterans being there, particularly Derrick Henry? Well, that's the big one to me, right? Because he's usually not present at these. And and, and even if some of the other guys aren't, It's Derrick Henry, right? He's still the face of the franchise, uh, the most important player in that locker room. I take it as Derrick Henry being very self-aware, in all honesty, right? I think he realizes things have changed for him a little bit. There's There's a shift in momentum. You're in the final year of your contract. You're an aging running back, a bit of an expensive running back. And he's heard the whispers, right? He's not immune to all the talk about how you know, Titans fans, people around the league coming out and saying, you know, he's not as good as he used to be. He can no longer be the focal point of that offense. They're getting ready to move on from him. We've heard trade rumors the last couple of months, especially prior to the draft. Like all of this is fairly foreign to Derrick Henry, right? When have we ever talked about the Titans moving on from Derrick Henry throughout the prime? of was never, right? This is the first time. So I don't think it's coincidence that he's there for the first time. I think it just signals that he's very self-aware. He Obviously, he knows he's in the final year of his contract, but even more so than that, he knows what some of the whispers are starting to say about him, a declining impact, yada, yada, things of that nature. So I think it just means he's very, very self-aware. Yeah, has he lost a step? Does he need to be at OTAs to get that step back? I don't think that's what this is about, but I do think it's it's just a sign to me of full buy-in from this team. Right. I remember a few years ago, it may have been 2019, when all the veterans were at the OTAs, and it was like a big deal. Mike Vrabel was like, "We these guys are here to work. They're all here to buy in and, and build this camaraderie as a team. And then they had some success that season, went to the AFC Championship game. And then the last couple of years, it's been like a little bit more laid back in OTAs. They've been a little bit more like, oh, we'll show up for the for the mandatory session, the mini camp. We don't necessarily need to be there for OTAs. And I feel like we're seeing some of that veteran buy-in again that it's like they have a, this little light gone off that's like, we weren't good enough the last couple seasons and we want to be much better. So we're going to be there for everything and build that camaraderie aspect because I think that's just as important, you know, playing for the guy next to you as is like getting the actual on-field work in by yourself or wherever. When you're building that team, that like sense of team, I think is super important in the NFL and one of those like locker room underrated things that we don't talk about enough. 
MCA listeners, you heard it here. First and foremost, Justin Graver is predicting that the Titans are going back to the AFC Championship game because Boom. that's what happened in 2019 the last time <laughs> they all showed up for OTAs. Uh, no, all kidding aside, look, I'm an old school guy, so I'm going to agree with you to the sense where that camaraderie, that locker room chemistry, that buy-in is so important. It is underrated. And this is the time to build that chemistry, right? Like bonds are created in uh, you know March, April, May and June. They're not created in September, October, November when you're in the thick of it and you better already have it figured out because no one's going to wait for you, right? This is a merciless league, right? Every week, one of my good pals, you know, Joe Marino always says, humility is one week away in the NFL, right? There's no time to go in and build that chemistry in November. You better have that shit figured out by then. So this is the time to figure out, to figure all that out. It's an underrated part of the NFL calendar. And uh, I'm sure Mike Vrabel is thrilled with the attendance at voluntary OTAs to see his veterans, to see his leaders taking part with rookies, new signings, undrafted free agents, everyone that's there. Um, this is a big deal for them. And I'm sure they're very, very happy with the turnout. Absolutely. So while we're talking about this time of year and building that sort of chemistry, let's get into a few position battles that won't be settled anytime soon, but we can start to get, you know, a little bit of a, a lean on one direction or another. I think, you know, as far as 22 starting positions go on offense and defense, most of them are fairly set in not in stone, but at least in pencil. And we kind of have at least an idea of what they want to shake out. And maybe, you know, some players will overperform or underperform, make them change their plans. But like, let's talk about the offensive line, because we know that they are slotting in most likely Andre Dillard at left tackle, Peter Skaronsky at left guard, Aaron Brewer at center, Daniel Brunskill at right guard and Nicholas Petitfrier at right tackle. It would be an upset, let's put it that way, if that wasn't the starting offensive line come week one, right? But who's going to challenge for these, some of these spots? Is Corey Levin going to challenge for a starting center spot? I don't think so. But could it happen? Maybe. Is Peter Skaronsky going to try to win the left tackle job and bump Dillard into inside to guard? I think that's like, if the starting five I just said doesn't happen, the most next likely thing is that you're just flipping Skaronsky and Dillard, right? Is there anyone else on this roster, Jamarco Jones, anyone like that that could really be competing for a roster spot on the offensive line? I agree that that's the favorite starting five. I do think Corey Levin and, and Jamarco Jones maybe have an outside chance of, of at least competing. Like the reason I say that is, you know, again, Brewer, we're projecting him to play center more consistently. It's not something he's done a lot of at the NFL level. He did it a little in college. We we've talked about the reasons we're making we're making a successful projection there, right? He's undersized, short arms, yada yada, underweight. Like it's a better fit to hide those things at center than it is guard. But I don't want to totally write off Corey Levin because A, Brewer hasn't played a ton of center, and B, this isn't Ben Jones versus Corey Levin, right? right. Like this is Aaron Brewer versus Corey Levin. And yeah, you know, they paid Brewer, was it four million dollars through the tender? So clearly they view him as a hopeful starter. And I do think that's how it's gonna play out. But this again, this isn't Stefan Diggs auditioning for the number one role at Buffalo Bills for the receiver, right? Like this is like, it, it, there's a possibility at least if things, you know, Brewer doesn't impress and Corey Levin is super impressive. I don't think they're going to make a decision based on names and salaries here, right? That That's what yeah. I mean by that. Jamarco Jones, same line of thinking, look, if Andre Dillard is, you know, super disappointing or gets hurt or Skaronsky, hell, I mean, we're all just assuming he's going to be plug and play, right? The Chance Warmack effect, right? The most pro-ready prospect in the league well you know in case he does struggle and is slow to acclimate Jamarco Jones is a guy they thought was going to compete for a starting job at left guard last year 
right before he got injured and, and lost that battle to Aaron Brewer essentially by default. So I, I give the two of those guys an outside shot. I don't see any other reserve lineman. You know, Dylan Radins is hurt right now, so he's not going to really have an opportunity. And everyone else is essentially a UDFA. Yeah, Jalen Duncan, a sixth-round pick who has a lot of room to, you know, improve before he can be a reliable starter if he ever gets to that point. I think the one thing that would shake this up is an injury somewhere. And you got to cross your fingers and knock on wood for a super healthy training camp from this group because there is not a lot of depth there in terms of guys that you would feel comfortable as a starter going into week one. Like we're talking about worse than Dennis Daly if, uh, you know, well, Jalen I mean, Duncan. Hold on. I mean, <laughs> if, if Jalen Duncan is your starting right tackle on day one, you feel better about him than you would Dennis Daly, who, I mean, Dennis Daly struggled a lot, but at least he had experience no in but. the league. There's no but. <laughs> I think I, I like, and I'm always careful to not overrate things. I don't know that you could overstate how bad Dennis Daly was this past year. Like, I think at worst I would feel the same. <laughs> okay. Um, because Andre Dillard has a pretty long injury history. He's never even made, he's never started a full, so what is the most games he's ever played in a season, like eight or something like that? Like they're banking on this guy staying healthy because again, the swing tackle options, like, yeah, maybe in eight months, one of these guys has developed enough to the point where they're ready. But if they had to start week one, they'd be in a Boise State, Boise State UDFA. He's the one to watch. I'm most curious about it. Like the kid really good body of work in college at Boise state. But I, I think in, in case that were to happen, you probably are kicking Skaronsky out there because you feel a lot better. It's about your best five at that point, right? You feel better about inserting Corey Levin or Jamarco Jones, maybe Dylan Radin sets all three of those guys, right? Whichever one you'd feel better about inserting them into the lineup than any of the other tackle options. Right. Exactly. My point. And there are a few, you know, guys on the market still, they could veterans that have never really been great, but have started a lot of games that they could look at. And, uh, we'll Jermaine see. If anything... Jermaine yeah. I wrote an article just the other day, Atlanta Falcons just cut him uh, a lot of experience at right tackle has played some guard as well. Actually started multiple years at guard early on in his career until he eventually got more comfortable to kick back out to tackle, which was his original projection played in that Arthur Smith offense last year. It's very similar to what the Titans run. Yeah. He's, you know, he didn't play a lot last year because they were healthy. Falcons were something the Titans weren't. They were healthy up front. Like <laughs> Jake Matthews and uh, who's the other tackle? Uh, uh, Caleb McGarry. They all, they played all every game, right? So I, I fed he didn't play a lot last year, but he's thrown together s- some good seasons uh, at tackle. He was a guy interesting, right? Like he came in, he was a first round pick, which I forgot about. Super disappointing. Didn't live up to those expectations. Kicked him inside to guard, started to find his footing professionally, and then kicked back out to tackle and looked like he had figured it out to at least be a a league average type player. Say what you will, they don't have league average type players behind their starting tackles, no. right? We don't even know if they got league average starting tackles, right? Like, <laughs> with Petit Free, in all honesty, we don't. So, I, 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 arguably, he could come in and compete for the right tackle starting job. In all honesty, if they just didn't want to hand it to NPF and see if he grows. So that's a guy I think they should be hopping on the phone with immediately. And I brought that up to say that if an injury does happen at one of these positions, I think they go outside and sign somebody before they before they look at any of the reserve tackle options currently on the roster. Let's stay on the offense here and talk about another important position group where the Titans are lacking, not just depth, but also top heavy starters, the wide receivers. I am super excited slash anxious slash interested to see 
slash nervous to see how Traylon Burks and to an extent Kyle Phillips and, uh, you know, even some some guys further down the depth chart who it's their last chance to really make an impression like a racy McMath. I'm excited to see how these guys look at OTAs, you know. It's one thing to go up against air and catch catch passes, just running routes against nobody from uh, your starting quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, from Malik Willis, from Will Levis. And, of course, we're going to get to those guys in a second. But I really want to see when they start going, you know, team periods, who's making plays, who's popping out, whose name are we going to see on the Twitter timeline? So-and-so just made another amazing catch in team period. I kind of feel like Traylon Burks is ready to take that next step. And maybe that's just like the fan bias optimism that we all feel at this time of year. But from his press conference last week, seeing him in the sled video, you know, you know, encouraging his teammates, diving, everyone's diving on all over the field, but looking like he worked really hard, but also is having fun talking about how he's been able to manage his asthma by staying in Nashville and training in the heat and knowing that he can, you know, work through this thing that was such a limiting factor in him at for him at OTAs last year and saying that he feels faster this year because he can breathe sort of tongue-in-cheek comment I'm really excited to see what Traylon Burks can do I think he could establish himself as a true number one wide receiver for the Titans this season if he doesn't this is going to be a really bad offense yeah it's, it'll be terrible right <laughs> if he's not that guy uh He's an obvious one. I don't have a ton to add, right? You're, you're hoping for that sophomore jump. The rookie, you know, the, the rookie year for him, it was impressive in flashes. He battled some inconsistencies. He battled a few injuries, right? There was the turf toe. Then there was the concussion suffered against the Eagles on that incredible touchdown catch. 430 receiving yards, I think he finished the year with. It's not what you hoped for. It's not what you expected, right? As you're, even though he was a rookie and maybe some unfair expectations, he straddled with yada, yada. You're seven, 800 yards, right? For a number one receiver minimum, right? In this league. So he's a big one and, and they need him to take that step forward. God, do they, do they need it badly? Yeah. And then you look at the options behind him and even Traylon was asked about this in his press conference. Like, do you expect to see a whole lot of double teams this year, given the, you know, the other guys in the room? And he sort of said he's confident in the other players in the room. And if he's getting doubled, that means somebody else has a one-on-one opportunity. Who do the Titans have that can win those one-on-one opportunities? Can Kyle Phillips be that guy in the slot that creates mismatches that can get open quickly, uncover quickly, they say? I think he can, but again, it's about staying healthy. He's apparently been working on bulking up, you know, in in an effort to stay healthier this season. Nick Westbrook-Akina going into what, his fourth, fifth season now? Like, is he plateaued? Has he plateaued as a player? Can he take another step forward, just an incremental one, to be a little bit more reliable, consistent guy who can get open versus man coverage, not just be in the right spot at the right time and make a strong catch and get tackled to go out of bounds almost right away? But can he actually improve his route running ability to the point where he can separate versus man coverage? Because we haven't seen a whole lot of that from him. I feel like the Titans are relying on a lot of guys in this room to not be the player they were last year, but to take a step forward I don't know if that's a foolish errand that they're running here, but I I feel si- kind of more confident than I should, I guess. That's mm. the time of year, you know? It's <laughs> it's May. We're going to be optimistic more than anything else. I think that if anything holds this offense back, it's going to be the offensive line. It's going to be the wide receivers. We know it's not going to be Ryan Tannehill. We know it's not going to be Derrick Henry. The tight ends, I feel pretty good about the tight end group. When it comes to the wide receivers and the offensive line, like... If even if one guy gets hurt, I feel like these position groups are in a whole lot of hurt. 
Well, yeah, because you're not confident the starters are very good. So the depth obviously isn't very good, right? The one thing I'll add on Kyle Phillips is I I think that slot position is very important to this team and to this offense. I think they're high on him, but I think it's so important that they doubled down and bought some insurance when they signed Chris Moore in unrestricted free agency. I think this is a guy, don't get me wrong, I I don't think he's a terrific player by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think he's someone that's being underrated right now by the Titans fan base in the sense where – there's a quick pathway for him getting on the field, right? It's, there's not a lot of players in front of him. He had 550 receiving yards last year. He would have finished four yards behind Robert Woods, I think is the team's leading receiver. So, and he's a veteran, a guy that's been, he's the only one on this team that's really been around and, and has proven that he can play at this level, even in a sub package role can separate in the slot. So I, I think this is a guy that's being a bit underrated right now and is probably going to be more involved than people think. Yeah, he as you said, he's the only guy on the roster with a 500-yard receiving season under his belt. And it his happened whole last year. Yeah, on a Texans team with a pretty shaky quarterback play right. and just like overall bad team. Uh, they, they were in a similar situation where they were just looking for reliable bodies to get open, right? Like John Mechie missed his entire rookie year. Brandon Cooks, I believe, was in and out of the lineup. You know, Nico Collins took a bit of a step forward, but there was inconsistencies there. He was one of those veteran guys that said similar, right? They had, a you know, minus Cooks, they had some unproven guys, right? Mechie wasn't there, unfortunately. He, he was de- dealing with his illness. Collins was a young guy still acclimating chris moore said i've been in this league for a while i can get open and make plays for it yeah i feel like titans fans are underrating him as you said because i think you know what happened last season when you know middle of the year titans signed chris conley they titans fans are now looking at chris moore as if like he's just another chris conley that's coming in here to like be a body and you know not catch open passes and you know not be in the right spot and i think that like titans fans are a little bit you know, scarred from that experience. Chris Conley and Chris Moore are not the same player, everybody. So let's keep that in mind. I don't think Chris Moore, like you said, he's not a world beater, but he's a guy that can be a reliable wide receiver three, as long as the Titans have wide receivers one and two figured out, which we're not 100% sure they do. Like he could be a reliable player. All right. What's another position group we should get into here? You you know what? I want to switch up this format and I'm saying it right on air. Is that okay? let's do it, baby. Pull back the curtain. Why don't we just go rapid fire? Why don't we, I mean, explain it. Why don't we shoot off some names that we're excited to see and curious about? All right. I'll start then. Chigakwanko. This is a guy who has a huge chance to make a second year leap. His, you know, metrics last season were incredibly high efficiency, but low usage. Can he maintain a super high yards per route run type of stat? Can he maintain the yards after catch numbers and the yards per reception numbers he was putting up on a higher workload, on a bigger volume? Probably not. You're going to see some, you know, the efficiency numbers are going to go down a little bit as the overall production increases. But I just kind of want the Titans to put him in a bigger, bigger role and let him have the chance to make more plays because it felt like every time they gave him a chance last season, he came through, he continued to get better and impress as the season went along. So can he take another step and be one of those like top five tight end guys in the league, like a, like a Mark Andrews, George Kittle type of guy. I mean, that's obviously they're asking a lot. These are the best guys, you know, Travis Kelsey, these are the best guys in the league, but I think that Chig has shown the ability to make plays at every level of the field deep down the field, especially close to the line of scrimmage, making guys miss. So he just needs a bigger role than what he had last season. And I think coming out of his rookie year, he, you know, rewarded the trust that the Titans gave in him and earned the right to have a bigger role. So I want to see how he looks in OTAs to see if he, if there is a noticeable step forward from him. 
Well, that's a great call and a good shout out because I feel right now, maybe there's a bit too much hype for Traylon Burks and not enough for Chigaquanko. I am equally excited about, uh, equally as excited about both of them. In all honesty, like everything we're saying Traylon Burks is capable of doing, I feel the exact same way about Chigaquanko. Why can't he have a 700-yard receiving year as a sophomore? He totally can. They got to feature this guy heavily in this offense. The, the, like When we talk about Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver one, quote-unquote, it's Travis Kelsey, right? I don't care what position he plays. It's Travis Kelsey. When we talk about the Titans and a lack of pass catchers, we should be going wide receiver one, Traylon Burks, wide receiver two, Chigaquanko, right? I because agree. he, in my opinion, right, even as a sophomore, is so far ahead of where Kyle Phillips was last year because he didn't play a lot of football due to injury, of what Nick Westbrook-Akine gives you from an athletic perspective, what a Chris Moore gives you, anyone else that's battling for a roster spot there at receiver, he's way ahead of those guys. At least that's what it looked like on the field last year. You yeah. said it, the route running, he made plays at every level of the field, short, intermediate, deep, the run after catchability reminds you a little bit of John New Smith, even reminds you a little of Delaney Walker, doesn't he? Yeah. Delaney wasn't a six foot six, you know, 250 pound tight end. Like it was a little bit more stocky, low center of gravity built to the ground, can run through arm tackles, pick up yards after the catch, create explosive plays, chunk plays, which is exactly what this uh, passing offense needs. Chig is that guy. So that's a great call. Uh, am I, am I, am I going to transition here and go to, yeah, go to the go defensive to side of the ball? Go to your guys. Yeah. I want to see Rashad Weaver in all, in all honesty. I think this is a big third year for him. Um, remember last year we talked about how we talked a lot on the show about how he was on route, you know, on pace for 10 sacks. He only yeah. finished with five and a half, right? I and know. that means he didn't have many towards the down the stretch of the year, right? Because most of those came in the first few weeks of the season. Um, this is a guy when you you talk about depth on this roster, our, our pal Mike Herndon's brought this up a lot to, to you and I in, in our group chat. You look at the edge position, you got Harold Landry coming back from a torn ACL. We saw what that was like with Bud Dupree. You hope it's not the same. You sign Arden Key, right, to start opposite him. After that, Rashad Weaver's the only thing between those guys and then a bunch of UDFAs. Yeah. Right? They, they lost to Marcus Walker. They lost Mario Edwards Jr. Dina Kowatri kicks out there on occasion, but it's, it was almost more so out of necessity, right, once they lost Landry last year. It's big for Rashad. And you're, you're constantly rotating those guys, right, in and out of the lineup, in and out, you know, keeping them fresh, four downs. Landry coming off the ACL, is he going back to a 98% uh, snap workload like we've seen from him in previous years? It's a big year for Rashad Weaver. He should get an opportunity to play a lot of football as the clear-cut number three edge defender on this team. And you've got questions at number one and two because one of them's coming off a serious injury and two is a brand new player, right, to the organization. So it's a really, really big year for Rashad. It's his third year. Um, if he has a great year, maybe they start, or even a good year, maybe they start talking contract extension next summer. Right, which is something that would obviously intrigue him in his representation. So uh, Rashad Weaver is a, a big one on my list. Yeah, and when you talk about those top two defensive ends, the number two, Arden Key, like he was a starter very early in his career, kind of fizzled out with his first team, found another role, found another home. And, you know, he, he was pretty good for the Jaguars last year as like a third rotational edge rusher, not really a starter on most games. So he's taken, you know, a bigger role on the Titans are projecting for him this season. Rashad Weaver tweeted last week, First thing I think about when I wake up is a nap. <laughs> what? Come on, man. You got to be, come on, man. You got to be ready for to, to take the next step and be a serious player. What is this crap? There have been some, <laughs> and the reason, one of the reasons I bring him up, there have been some concerns with him in the past, right? He had that, uh, you know, alleged off-field incident that led to a court date. A I believe it's still coming up. Finally coming up. They've reset it two or three times. It's finally coming up this summer. 
there was an issue where he was fined by the team, right? I think for missing the start of practice or being late or something. And he tweeted out a photo of the letter they sent him and he called it really lame that they were fine. So like there have been a few concerns with him in all honesty. And because he's in this role as the number three edge, the clear cut number three edge, this is a really big season for him. Yeah. I, I have my concerns, like you said, and honestly, my doubts that he can be that guy. I think it, I wonder if he's one of those guys that Vrabel called eight to four guys last year, you know, like, especially when you're talking about being late and first thing you want to do when you wake up in the morning is take a nap. And like, does he have the drive and the motivation and the work ethic to really succeed? I'm just questioning this guy's character without really knowing him. So that is maybe bad on my part, but it's a bit concerning to me. I do think it's a big year for him. So I like the name he brought up there. I'm going to name another guy on defense, Monty Rice. What even is Monty Rice? We we hardly know anything about Monty Rice as a player. He was pressed into action due to injuries above him on the depth chart last year, but now he's going to be taking on what we assume is going to be a starting inside linebacker role. We don't know that for sure. He could lose that job to one of these other guys, Jack Gibbons, that you know Mike Vrabel loves because he knows the defense so well. Obviously, they signed Aziz Alshire, so he's probably taking one of your starting inside linebacker jobs, but the other one is likely going to Monty Rice. He played... Some good snaps last year, but he hasn't played a whole lot as a starter. I think this is a huge year for him because, you know, as the NFL defenses evolve, middle linebacker becomes sort of one of the less important positional, you know, positions according to positional value and whatever. But defenses that are really, really good, a lot of like you look at the San Francisco 49ers, a lot of times you can point to some really good inside linebacker play. Can the Titans get that from Monty Rice? And like, will this defense be really good if their inside linebackers are a weaker position group? So I think it's a huge season for Monty Rice. He's a very good shout out as well because I've got him penciled into a starting role. Like, I'd be shocked if he's not a day one starter next to Aziz Elshire, right? That's how I expect him to line up in week one with Jack Gibbons maybe rotating in, in and out, maybe more so on early downs, you know, run stopping downs uh, more so than your sub package, uh, you know, passing looks. Um, I'm going to group the, my next two because they're both in the secondary. They're both cornerbacks. Elijah Molden and Caleb Farley. And I almost didn't include Caleb Farley in all honesty, but <laughs> he's not even a lock to make the 53-man roster. Like he might be, he could be cut this year, right? So it goes without saying he hasn't shown enough. He hasn't been healthy. When he has, he hasn't been good. Uh, he tweeted a couple months ago that he knows he sucked last year. So <laughs> he, I believe that's what the exact word he used. He said, I sucked last year. So he's taking it personal. He, he knows this is a do or die off season for him. Elijah Molden was a guy I would have talked about this time last year. And now looking back, what a disappointing year it turned out to be, right? Like he had, he had a pretty good rookie season for them. He was a guy I was excited about, came in, played the nickel, had some early season struggles. If you remember in his rookie year, week one, Arizona Cardinals, week two, Seattle Seahawks, gave up a couple big touchdowns in both of those games. And then it's like a light ball switched for him. I think, you know, he turned it on, played some real good football down the stretch, had that one weird game against the Texans where he was covering Danny Amendola where he yeah. struggled. But in between that, I thought he played really good as a rookie. Came back next year, you're hoping he's going to take that step, and he was just hurt like the whole year, right? It was like a groin injury that was recurring. He never got past it. He played, what, like three games? I can't think of one or two notable snaps, right, that he had this past year. He just never got going. So it is a big year for him because they got a lot of guys that can play out there in the nickel, 
right? They've yeah. got Roger McCreary, who I, I think is probably still going to spend most of his time on the outside, but he can play inside. Um, you talk about Sean Murphy bunting, another guy that they signed that can play the nickel full time. They added a couple UDFAs. Maybe there's a third safety that can play in the nickel on occasion. He's battling for rosters. Not maybe not a roster spot, sorry, but he's battling for uh, a, a role on this defense. It's by right. no means a lock like it appeared to be heading into the sophomore year, where we were like, "Oh, Elijah Molden's your starter at the nickel." That's no longer written in stone. So I'm very excited to see what he can do. Caleb Farley again is an obvious one who's not a lock to make the 53 man roster, but they don't have a ton of boundary exclusive guys, in yeah. my opinion, right? So Christian Fulton's one. I stopped short of calling Roger McCurry that Trey Avery, another guy I want to throw in this mix. I won't spend a ton of time on him, but a second year UDFA, he played the boundary for them uh, on occasion last year. It was a roller coaster. I mean, like it should be right for a UDFA that you're thrusting into the lineup unexpectedly thought he had some good reps, thought he had some bad reps. This could be a Trey Avery versus Caleb Farley battle for a final roster spot in all honesty. And it's tough to predict which way that would go. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, is Caleb Farley a guy they try to move late in July, early August for a sixth or seventh round conditional pick? Like, that, could some team see the physical traits and think they have a reclamation project and it's worth giving up a conditional seventh and they don't even have to give up a pick if Farley doesn't make their final roster kind of trade, you know, is right. potential what you're looking at there. I do have a theory about Molden, and this relates to things we talked about on this podcast before. Who's the team's third safety right now? Do we even know? No, is we there talked any about name? they don't have one. <laughs> Why could it not be Elijah Molden? I, I do think he could play like in 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 in, in those sub package looks when they're going to a th- three safety look. But I think where I start to push back on that is he's not coming into the lineup as an everyday starter if Amani Hooker or Kevin Byard are sidelined. Okay, I agree with that. I think that if we're talking about where is his role in this defense with other guys that can play the nickel and he's not really a boundary corner guy, I think his role would be as that sort of hybrid safety nickel linebacker type guy that plays around the line of scrimmage and can cover a tight end or a a slot receiver, um, but has more responsibility like in run defense. He's a very good tackler, right? Like he's a small guy, but he's very competitive against the run. And they used it as a rookie. He made a lot of plays near the line of scrimmage, right? So I'm with you. Like I'm with you on that and and the type of ideal role that he could play. But I also agree that he's not going to be your third safety in terms of the depth chart if somebody got hurt coming in and playing every down. So, um, all right, let's get to our beef of the week here before we continue, because we're going to wrap this thing up pretty soon. We can't forget to remind you all to check out the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden and located in East Nashville. Tell them the Music City Audible sent you and they present us with our beef of the week. For this week, mine is kind of silly because there wasn't a whole lot of beef going on out there, but I'm going to go in this direction Jaguars Twitter, if anyone is aware or following around on your own timelines, <laughs> they are going mad about Calvin Ridley. And I know Calvin Ridley is a talented receiver and he missed he missed a year because he was suspended for gambling on the league, which is one of the dumber things you could possibly ever do as a player because you know that that's totally against all rules. But Calvin Ridley, apparently Devontae Adams went on a podcast, I think it was I Am Athlete or some podcast, I don't even remember, last week, and uh, ranked his top five receivers and he had Calvin Ridley at like number four, three or four he was in his top five. If you remember a long time ago, A.J. Brown ranked a top five receivers in the league on Bustin' with the Boys, and he had Calvin Ridley in his top five. I feel like players in the league respect Calvin Ridley a little bit more than like national media fans, fantasy players, and those kind of people. And I'm not saying Calvin Ridley's bad, but 
Apparently, the Jags had their first day of OTAs on Monday as well, and Calvin Ridley missed half the practice because if he was dealing with an, an unknown issue, but he made two really great catches in team period, and now the Jaguars' Twitter is acting like Calvin Ridley is another Calvin, Calvin Johnson. Like, can we just slow <laughs> down with this freaking offseason nonsense hype machine train? I mean, the Jags are going to be a good team. They're going to have a good offense. Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. But I stopped short of calling any of those things great. And I'm just like annoyed. So I'm beefing with Jags fans who are like just super hyped on Calvin Ridley after one practice for no reason. I don't know. Am I am well, I am I going too far with this? What do you think? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a good beef of the week because it's OTAs, t-shirts and shorts. He made a couple great catches. Look, they're excited to have him. They think he's going to be a number one receiver. He might be right, especially you know with that they got a good quarterback, so that's going to help. And I don't think there's a lot of contention there. I mean, Christian Kirk, but not a ton of contention to be the number one receiver in Jacksonville, in my opinion. I'm with you. That's a good, I mean, I, I saw them hyping up Tank, Tank Bigsby as well. Yeah. Who, you know, the rookie running back wasn't even allowed Look, to run between the tackles. Really no quick, contact. Cal- Calvin Ridley, let's be real here. He's played four seasons in the NFL. One season, he only played five games. The other three seasons, he had 821 yards, 866 yards, and then he had a breakout third year for 1,300 yards. But it's not like this guy's been a dominant force on the football field like we're really calling this guy a top five receiver in the nfl like give me a break man top five is crazy there are so many good receivers in the league nowadays we're really gonna put calvin ridley in that group Devontae adams like come on man what are you even talking about Devontae adams justin jefferson jamar chase stefan diggs like i I don't know how we get to calvin ridley in the top five i'll tell you what (laughs) a theory that i've always had and it sounds bad because they'll they'll all say you don't play in the league you don't know Players in general are awful at making lists for who are the best players. Like it's they're awful. I mean, look at the NFL top 100 every year. It's horrible. And it's almost exclusively voted on by the players. So uh, for whatever reason, players just, they're not very good at it. They're not. Yeah, agreed. They're they're bad at it. All right, so that is our beef for the week. It's uh, and you know this this goes farther than just Calvin Ridley. And maybe I could, should include a few Titans fans in this, and and myself because we're all gonna get way too hyped over a few random clips that come out of OTAs, and we all just need to remember to uh, take it down a notch, and that this is a meaningless time of the year. And we've seen guys like Justin Hunter make incredible catches at OTAs, and then never amount to anything. <laughs> Justin in the NFL, Hunter will so. forever be the butt of every OTA joke that Titans fans make. <laughs> Um, so anyway, let's move on here. Let's we're going to cover one more position group, and it's the quarterbacks. And we're going to talk about this in relation to a new rule that was proposed uh, after the San Francisco 49ers suffered an utter disaster in the playoffs, losing Brock Purdy. And then Josh Johnson got hurt and uh, Purdy had to come back in with a elbow that he couldn't throw the ball. And anyway, NFL owners approved the bylaw proposal allowing teams to dress a third quarterback without using an active roster spot. So what does this mean exactly? Does it mean a guy who's not on your 53-man roster can be active on game day as a quarterback? No. It means a quarterback who is already on your 53-man roster can be activated as part of the game day roster without using one of the 46 spots that you get on game day. This quarterback can only play in the game if the two quarterbacks above him on the depth chart get injured. It's literally like a San Francisco 49ers rule. Like, are we going to name this after Brock Purdy? Are we going to name it after (laughs) Josh Johnson? I feel like it should be the Brock Purdy rule. But um, that's what this is. And so as Titans fans see this rule come out, they think, oh, three quarterbacks. Well, the Titans have three quarterbacks. Are all three going to make the roster? We don't know. Does this rule, in your opinion, impact in any way Malik Willis's chances of sticking on the 53-man roster? 
I'm going to say slightly yes for now. And I was planning on arguing this with you uh, because off air, I thought you said that it didn't. I agree that it doesn't. So if you want to go ahead and give the case for why it does, go ahead and then I will respond. I, I, I think it slightly does. And the reason I'll say why is you're probably approaching it like, okay, you still have to keep them on the 53-man roster, which Titans haven't done, right? They haven't kept three quarterbacks on a 53-man roster very frequently. I mean, I think almost exclusively throughout the Mike Vrabel years, they've been a a two-man team, right, at quarterback. But I think part of that, like the reason that you typically go with two is because you only get 46 active on game day, and you're thinking, I don't have room to have a third quarterback on my active 46. So I'm not going to bother carrying one. Well, that's why I think it slightly does change things because now you can keep them on the 53 and feel comfortable knowing you're going to have 46 other players that are not the third quarterback, right? And when you got a guy like Malik Willis where it's that in-between, like I don't think you're confident just outright releasing him, right? Like, I don't think you're there with him. He's still a, you know, a, a good prospect that has a lot of traits that excite you at the quarterback position. If you're getting an offer to trade him, I think, you know, you, you'd probably consider that, you know, depending on what the offer is, but I don't, I, I, I'd be pretty sh- surprised if they outright cut him unless he just showed that he's made zero strides. He's exactly the same guy he was last year, processing, slow decision-making, all that. But I think this rule does help you where, where you can say, you know what, I've got 44 other players on my active, right on my game day roster Uh, that are non-quarterbacks. I get my two quarterbacks in there. That brings me to 46. Well, now I could have Malik Willis as my 47th. I don't have to cut him. I could hold on to him. Uh, Yeah, you're sacrificing a 53-man roster spot for that. But again, I think some of the pushback to that, sometimes we focus too much on the 53 and not enough on the 46, right? If you see what I mean, like that's a good reason to not carry a third quarterback. Well, now... I keep him on the 53. He's not part of my 46, but I have him active on game day. I, I, for me, I think it slightly increases his chances. So my rebuttal to that is that let's say they were planning or not planning, doesn't matter, to keep Malik Willis. Let's If he made the 53-man roster initially or not, let's say he did, he wouldn't have been active on game days anyway. In I mean, in all likelihood. If Will Levis is as pro-ready as we expect with the offense he ran at Kentucky— Malik Willis wasn't going to be active on game day anyway, so I don't think the decision to keep him on the 53 was going to be about game day. It's going to be about, is Malik Willis, has he developed enough to be a serviceable quarterback in an emergency if Ryan Tannehill went down that he could be the game day backup the following week? I think that's what it's about, and it's also about the rest of the depth on the Titans roster. And if you go to paulkaharski.com, you'll find Mike Mike Herndon's uh, very early 53-man roster projection in which he kept Malik Willis on the roster, and his reasoning for doing so was simply that the depth at the other positions is not strong enough to warrant cutting Malik Willis because... You know, if you're getting to that, like you have 51 guys you know are making the roster and you're talking about guy 52 and guy 53, if those are players that have a chance to like be something for your team, if they had to be pressed into action, then you're talking about probably putting them on the roster over Malik Willis. But I don't think the Titans have 50 really solid NFL players that would be productive starters had they, where they would they be given a chance. I think that they're lacking a lot in the back end depth at a number of positions. And so I feel like Malik Willis's best shot to making the roster is simply that the competition, not at the quarterback position, but just the competition in general 
isn't that strong to begin with. And I get the idea that like, yeah, you don't have to keep him on your 53 thinking that he's going to take up a, one of your game day rosters spots, but I don't think he was going to take one of your game day roster spots anyway. So to me, it's sort of a separate conversation. This is sort of like this quarterback is not even allowed to play unless the top two guys get injured, right? The, it's not even part of your game day roster. It's a new designation, emergency third quarterback that you're allowed to designate if you had three quarterbacks on your 53-man roster. So this is like a playoff rule to me. This is like a, we are in a must, must, must win situation. Let's get a third quarterback on the 53 so we can designate him as our emergency guy. And it's a, a rule that we're going to see play out very rarely, because how often really do your top two quarterbacks go down in the same game? I agree, but where I do think it will play a role um, in terms of certainly in in, in the interest of employment is no team is going into the playoffs without a third quarterback anymore. Now That's that this rule is a thing, yeah. every single team is going to have a third quarterback in the playoffs, all of them. I agree with that. I agree with that, and there is a chance that the Titans decide to keep three quarterbacks but there's also a chance that they put Malik Willis on the practice squad and everyone watched his game tape last year, so nobody poaches him. And then when week 17, 18 rolls around and you've had injuries at other positions and you've clarified some roles at other positions, that you then elevate him from the practice squad, sign him to the active roster so that you can have the emergency third quarterback thing. But I still think Malik Willis is probably destined for a practice squad unless he shows a hell of a lot of improvement. But that brings me to the last position group that we're going to talk about here, because I am very interested to see the Will Levis versus Malik Willis competition. And, you know, right now I would give Will Levis the, the favorite chances to make the, to be the QB two. Like so such a big gap between him and Malik Willis, but that's based on what we saw from Malik Willis last year. Presumably Malik Willis has spent all off season trying to become a better quarterback, trying to have a better understanding of the offense. I mean, we all knew he was supposed, quote-unquote, supposed to sit for a year and learn, right? And he was pressed into action before he was really ready to be a starting quarterback. So there's a chance that he's taking a big step forward and that he's going to make this an interesting competition during training camp and that he's going to make the preseason extremely watchable because you would hope the Titans have three quarterbacks that can go out there and run an offense. I don't necessarily expect that, but I do think there's a chance. But I am pretty excited to see him throwing the ball in, in OTAs this week, to see him connecting with receivers, to see Will Levis throwing the ball to Traylon Burks if he even gets the chance to, because who knows how they're going to do the rotations in terms of first-team offense, second-team offense, and whatever. The Titans don't have that many receivers, so maybe Will Levis will get a chance to throw <laughs> to Burks a little bit. Um, but I'm really excited to see how these quarterbacks look. And then I think you know Ryan Tannehill coming in, being here at OTAs right now, it, it, he knows... His job is also on the line. So the whole quarterback room is going to be very interesting to track throughout the next week, the next couple of weeks, and all the way until we get to September. Well, same thing I said about Henry in relation to Tannehill, right? Yeah. Where he's self-aware. He's entering a contract year. He's heard all the whispers. They've drafted quarterbacks in back-to-back -back years. Like, they're trying to replace him, right? But it's up to one of these guys to step up and say, okay, I'm here and I'm ready to replace him. I'm curious to see how the pecking order works. Uh, mainly with the reps, like Mike Vrabel after Will Levis was drafted said he'll be the number three, right? Malik will be our number two. Levis will be the number three. That's how all coaches start with these rookies, right? They're going to make them work their way up the depth chart and earn it. But let's see it actually happen. Is Malik working exclusively with the second team offense at OTAs? Is Will Levis working with the third team offense exclusively? Does that change after a couple days? Do they alternate? Does Levis get some reps with the twos and Willis take some reps with the threes? That's the type of stuff that's worth monitoring in my opinion.
I agree. I agree. Um, anything else you want to say as we get ready to uh, to say goodbye here about OTAs before we say goodbye? No, I think that does it. I think this was a very productive episode. Lots of interesting stuff with this new quarterback rule, with the Titans depth chart. And we gave some great shout out, right? Some call outs for these names. And we didn't even get into some, I mean, we mentioned them, some of them in passing, but Sean Murphy Bunting, Azizel Shire, Daniel Brunskill, Arden yeah. Key. These are four new guys that are all going to be starting right on offense and defense this year. Traven Wesco is going to be a guy that's going to play 50% of snaps at tight end, in my opinion. Yeah. So there's a lot of new additions here. Mix them in with some of the rookies, the sophomores. There's a lot of players to monitor throughout OTAs. Yeah, I think it's an exciting you know year to follow OTAs for the Titans because there's a lot of changes, new general manager and everything else that's going on. And of course, who doesn't want to watch the rookie quarterback throwing for the first time with the veterans? So we're going to track and, and all a new that. offensive coordinator. Not to right. cut you off, but a new offensive coordinator in Tim Kelly, a new uh, secondary uh, de- defensive coach as well in Chris Harris. So a lot of moving pieces here. A new offensive line coach who the players praised recently while throwing uh, who's Keith Carter under the bus completely. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of interesting parts here. Yeah, so that's going to be really fun to follow along. And we'll be back next week to recap the first week of OTAs and cover any other news that happens in the next week. And uh, we'll see. I don't expect any big news to happen, but we will cover it all. Everyone out there, cross your fingers, pray and knock on wood for a healthy training, healthy OTAs, healthy mini camps and a healthy training camp for the Titans because this is the year they need it probably more than any we've covered as as a duo on this podcast um all right that will do it for this episode of the music city audible thanks again to the pharmacy burger parlor and beer garden stop by tell them the music city audible sent you and follow justin on twitter at justin m underscore nfl follow me at titans film room check out broadwaysportsmedia.com and all the content from them and 440 sports we'll be back next week as i said until then y'all stay safe out there and tighten up A Broadway Sports Media Production.